If you have a New Testament, just go to the first book. It's called Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew's chapter 6. I want you to think with me throughout the entire message, though there'll be many scriptures that will be shared. I want you to follow uh, this scripture today very, very closely as Jesus speaks some of the most incredible words that you will ever, ever, ever hear. I've entitled the message In Anticipation of His Appearance. In anticipation of his appearance. Think what it was like the week before Resurrection Sunday. Think about how people not really knowing they had heard that he would rise, but there was skepticism everywhere. And every person from the day of the week before the resurrection... Day by day by day, knowing that the crucifixion was coming, had been announced, no doubt, in the city, that Jesus would be crucified along with some others that were deserving of their punishment they felt in that day. And think about how those people were thinking and what were they doing. For those that knew he would rise on the third day, as he said, what did they do that week? Those that did not, had never done anything about their relationship to the Lord Jesus, knew very little about him, what did they do? In anticipation of the resurrection. Listen to one verse of Scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus said these words, But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added Unto you. I am so glad that when Jesus spoke, he spoke in a way that everybody could understand. I'm glad that he was able to make clear his major points in life. No clearer words could be spoken by our Lord than these Seek first the kingdom of God, get that in order. And all of these things, whatever avenue you want to go to, will take care of themselves if you simply know the Lord and find the Lord. And he says, if you seek me, you're going to find me. The people that don't know God have never tried to find God. They've never sought God. They have tried to come up with every reason they could to doubt their ears of God and certainly the, the, uh, that salvation comes through Jesus Christ that rose from a grave, but they began to move in a different direction. If you don't seek God, you don't find God. But if you seek God, you will find him. That's a promise from him. So the kingdom of God, when we talk about what is that, it's an indescribable expression of the magnitude of God. How big is our God? How awesome is his name? The heavens declare the glory. The earth is the firmament. Just think about it. How big is his kingdom? Is it just in my life or your life or our lives together? Or 
in a nation or in another country or in the world? Or how do you describe it? If you study Scripture intently, and many of you have, you know that Scripture divides the teaching of the kingdom of God basically into two categories. First of all, the kingdom refers to the future reign of God upon this earth. We're to look forward to that day when every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. We pray the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, yearn for that day to come. Even at our Lord's ascension, as Jesus left after the resurrection, his disciples asked him, when is the time going to come when you take over your kingdom? In other words, when you get in charge and all this mess that we have to deal with every day of our life, when is it going to be gone? That's what they wanted to know. Because they, they, they trembled at the thought that Jesus was leaving them. Isn't it interesting the way he answered? Here's what he said in Acts 1-7. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. You ever get frustrated when God doesn't tell you some things you'd really like to know? I was hoping that you'd react in some way because I feel that way every day. There's just some things I would like to know that I don't know, and I've even asked him to tell me, and thus far he has not. And, of course, about the time that I'm asking him to do this, he points me over to the Scripture and says, my ways are higher than your ways, and then I say, oh, well, I understand now. You've answered my question. You're up here, and I'm down here. So I don't put it all together. But, you know, there's coming today when God's going to set us free. There comes a day on, in this kingdom now when you can be set free because if you know the truth the truth can set you free and you can be broken from the bondage of sin right now right this very moment but you know today people do not know what the word freedom means many people in our own country and around the world believe that freedom means I can be disobedient to God I believe in freedom of choice Whose choice? Whose choice? I think I've got the freedom to do anything I want to do when I want to do it and the way I want to do it. And who's going to do anything about it? God again would say, be still. And no, I'm God. Don't push me. He says, the only way you're ever going to be free is for when I set you free. And when I set you free, he says, you will be free indeed. And we've got a week to get ready to celebrate the greatest event of all history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is great news to the believer, but it's the worst news you ever heard if you're not. Because if Jesus rose from that grave, which all of history proves that he did, since he is risen... It is imperative that we know him. Yes. 
that we don't wait till that day because the Bible says now is the day of salvation. Now is the moment. Now is the time. The kingdom number two, the kingdom refers to God's present rule and reign in our lives. Right now, thy kingdom come. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as it is in heaven. Amen. Let me let you in on a secret if you've never heard this. And let me remind many of you, and you've heard it over and over and over. God made every single one of us for the purpose of fellowshipping with him, not with each other. We hit the ground looking for the other. I'm looking for my mate. I'm looking for my vision of wealth or whatever you might be looking for. God created us for fellowship with him. And until we fellowship with him, we are of all people most miserable. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest minds that, that ever wrote, he said this, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because there is no such thing. Think about those words. The only way we'll ever have peace is to know him, to love him, to understand that he controls every breath that we take, every experience we have in life, that if we know him, he never walks out on us. He never divorces us. He keeps us in the hollow of his hand. You know, Pilate got from his high position in government, somewhat interested in a special way in Jesus. And one day Jesus said to him in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. God's kingdom is above this world, way above this world. Elections are a way that America sets up its kingdom. Think about it. We make decisions to set up our kingdom. Not his kingdom, our kingdom. What's best for me and my family, that's what I want. Well, America has been given an opportunity by a holy God to call him Lord and make him our king. No people on earth have had more opportunity than we've had. No people that ever lived have been blessed like we have been blessed by God. We have our chance. We have our chance now. We don't know how much longer we will have that chance. Wouldn't it be great... This is just a way out, out thought of mine. I'd love for God to send John the Baptist back and let him preach in the biggest stadiums in America. You know who John the Baptist is, I hope, okay? He was the forerunner of Jesus. He said, repent, the kingdom of God is heaven. Wouldn't it be great if CNN and, and Fox and all the rest of them would put the cameras in all the stadiums of this nation and let them preach to the world, let John the Baptist preach? Let me tell you, I know what his subject would be. 
repent or perish. That's his subject matter. So if we want God's kingdom to come on earth, it's got to come through us that are his kids. He has put us here in order that we will prepare ourselves and then that we will go and prepare others. The end of the service today, we're going to vote our budget for next year. That budget represents what this church feels like about the world and its need for Jesus Christ. Each portion of God's world needs to take root in our hearts. And if it does, it has the potential of producing faith and great works all over the world if it could take roots, if we could just allow Jesus to be Lord. The stronger God's people become, the more effective we can be in helping others. The more missionaries we can send, the more we can get the gospel out, the more we can see Christian movies and Christian broadcasts and, and Christian ministries that rise up, not only in our own land, but across the world. Our church budget represents and reflects the heart of this church. As to what we feel like that we should do as the bride of Christ. The individual giving reflects the heart of the individual members. Members that are members because they're a part of the family of God. And so we look at these things. You know, Paul learned to be content. When a person sees somebody content today, they think, what's wrong with you? You mean to tell me that you've never done this and you've never done that and so forth and so on? And yeah, I guess not. I just can't believe it. Well, why aren't you miserable? Because you are. That's the reason. <laughs> Saved by the blood. Born again. Whatever you want to call it. When the world sees somebody content, it, it's really interesting to them. They can't believe it. How, how, how did you get that way? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> But when you think about how right now, this moment, we're just a few days away from people that normally don't come to churches will be there. We need to pray one for another. Listen to Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want for any good thing. Why should I get worked up and have a nervous breakdown? Pray somebody to worry for you. If you can't afford to pay them, let it be their worry. But we need to come to the point to where we refuse. We refuse to not live knowing that Jesus is alive. We're not waiting to Easter for him to be alive. He's alive today. And he wants to live in every heart. 
And the only reason if he doesn't live in your heart is not because of the sin in your life except the one sin, and that is the sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit, and you have had times, the meanest person I'm talking to, when you had a quiet moment when you thought, maybe I'm wrong. You didn't tell anybody that, but you had that thought. When the Holy Spirit was trying to get you into a situation where you could hear truth, and that truth could change your life. It wasn't what you heard. It was a person that you were introduced to because you saw something or heard something. So how do you get into the kingdom? Well, first of all, you got to be born again. John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Except a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God, much less enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't even know what it is until he's adopted in the family. John 3, 5, Except a man be born of water, that's the physical birth, and of the spirit, that spiritual birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there has to be a born-again experience. That is not a theological word. It is a biblical word. You must be born again. You remember Jesus answered to the question in Matthew 18 and 1, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In the second verse, it says, and Jesus called a little child unto him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as a little child, you'll in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What an analogy. The faith of a little child. A little child that'll come up here on this platform, and if daddy says jump, or somebody they know and love says jump, they'll jump off this platform. They know how strong that person is? No. But they have faith. They can sense the love. They have the assurance. And they jump. Big people have to prove me. Prove me. Prove to me there's a God. The Bible has one verse for you. A fool says in his heart there's no, there is no God. That's what the Bible says. A fool says in his heart there is no God. End of discussion. God says if you are so naive... You believe this world was created by some kind of bomb explosion out in the universe. Excuse me, I'm going to go talk to somebody else. The new birth is followed by something else. You ready for this one? This is the best part. Full forgiveness. Full forgiveness. Not 90%. Not 99%. They used to make a soap years ago. It was 99% pure. And then it said it floats. I guess that's the reason why it wasn't impure. They put something in it and made it float. I guess that's what it is. But it's only 99%. We're 100%. Every sin forgiven. Every sin forgotten. Our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you can't erase it because it's written in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have time to read the story, but if you take notes, write down Matthew 18. Verses 23 through 35, go home and read that story. Remembering, God gives full, full forgiveness. And then, after one is born again and experienced childlike humility, they're offered full forgiveness, and then that person no longer trusts the things of this world. Have you ever heard statements like, I am uh, financially free. 
I'm independently wealthy. Brother, if you got that word independently, you better be careful. If you are independently wealthy, you better pray for independently, whoever that is. Because, see, when our lives becomes God's life, you don't trust anything in this world, including the value of gold, silver, oil, American dollar, you name it. We, in the kingdom of God, resources come down. And the Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father. And I'll not withhold any good thing if you just love me. Because you're my kids. Remember the rich young ruler that came to the Lord? Let me just give you a reminder. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. Then said Jesus to his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that mean that they got to come some other way by grace? No. But some way, somehow, when a person looks good, feels good, acts good, and got a bunch of money, they feel like they got the world by the tail. And they don't need God. Why do I need God? I'm independently wealthy, and I'm in perfect health, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you know something? If we're going to get ready for Easter... We better deal with some of those things in our life. Sometimes God takes away wealth to get our attention. I've seen it many, many times. God can take away our health. There's a lot of things that can happen to get us to him. And that's not good, but they work together for good, according to the scripture. And when you come into the kingdom of God, the fifth thing you do is you begin to practice personal purity in your life. It really means something to you that I be careful that I touch not the unclean thing. And you just fill in those blanks as to what the unclean thing is. I, I cannot, I cannot, as I see these things and I know they're not good for me and I don't know why I do it. Think about it. We're to present ourselves without spot and without blemish to the Lord. That's the way he says, I want you to come. How can I come without spot and without blemish? We have to be covered with the blood. Matthew 5, 20 in the Sermon on the Mount, For I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Who are those guys? Were they the bad guys? They were the religious crowd. He said, if you're just one of the religious boys and you come to the church as many Easter Sundays as he ever came, you've been there just as many in your lifetime. If you read your Bible, the amount that they read theirs and so forth, you give what they give, you, do, you serve like they serve, watch out. Watch out. In Corinthians 6, it, the Bible says in verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Listen to this. Neither fornicators, idolaters, or adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Can those people be saved? You bet, but they've got to be saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And probably every one of us got hit in that list right there. So I did pretty good, only one, only two, whatever. Doesn't make any difference. One sin separates you from God. And one drop of blood makes you white as snow for eternity. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 5, the unclean person, the covetous man, an idolater, 
did not have any inheritance in the kingdom of God. You know, the righteousness of Jesus is our passport to heaven. If you ever travel abroad, they start going through that line with your passport. When you go into a foreign land, you know what they always look for on that passport? Where you been? Where you been traveling? Because if you've been doing this and this, or you've been there, 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 whoop, over here on this line, we need to talk to you a little bit more. But when we step into the kingdom of God, our passport needs to be stamped with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because a lot of us have been in places we ought not have been. And done things we shouldn't have done. But thanks to Calvary, we can be made whole. Why do you think God let Satan set up the kingdom? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I've asked myself that even when I was a little kid. Why did God let the devil come around? Why did he make the devil? You know why I think he did it? I think God wanted to give us a choice. You know, love demands a choice. God has said, choose you this day. I don't want to come in with authority of saying, you don't have a choice. No, you choose this day who you're going to serve. I want to give you an option. I want to tell you what this option is. This is my platform. This is what I will do if I am chosen to be your Lord. But you got a choice. We like that in America, don't we? Do we want one gas company, one oil company, one electric company, one grocery store, one place to buy furniture? I don't think so. I think we like free enterprise. So the Lord said, bring it on, Satan. If they're not willing to love me and follow me for who I am, because they can get stuff, they can get temporal pleasure out there, so that will throw it at them because you're in a temporary situation. I am in an eternal situation, and I want my people to follow me because they love me and they choose to follow me, but whosoever will can make the choice, and I will not in any way refuse them if they make the right choice. But it's not mandatory. All believers are continually made aware of the protection of God, the provision of God, the direction that God leads us. And you know what? Our Lord needs us to increase our love for him. Why don't we spend the week doing that? Why don't we just make a covenant with each other and with God that from now until Easter Sunday, the Lord doesn't come back before then, that we will do everything we can to evaluate every area of our life and see if our life reflects, oh, how I love Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Thanks to Calvary. Amazing grace. Why don't we do that? Why don't you do your thing and let me do my thing and let's see where we end up next Sunday. You know, when you seek the kingdom and his righteousness, you're really seeking Jesus because it's his righteousness that becomes our righteousness. Where it says us to seek righteousness, it's another way of saying seek Jesus because he is our righteousness. He's the one that makes us look good, not us. 
Romans 3.22, even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe. How many times every week do you try to see some, something from God's viewpoint? Your marriage, your personal life, the way you talk, the way you share your faith. How often do you seek God in this and say, I wonder, God, if I'm doing this the way you want me to do it. I wonder if I'm out there just doing my own thing. James asked an interesting question in the fourth chapter, in verse 14. He says, what is your life? What is your life? If somebody were to give you one hour from right this moment to, to write, your autobiography, what would you write? You know how we see things? Many of them? Many things? We don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. Big difference. If you look through a pair of binoculars, I don't care how much they cost, if they're not in focus, you're not going to see much. And by the way, if you find some in the closet and you look at them and they're blurry, before you give them to a neighbor, you might get somebody to show you how to focus them. When you said, these are brokers, I just can't see anything out of here. Get them focused. Get them focused. Same way with our life. Get focused. We're just, we're just up and down. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I don't know what are you going to do. You know, I don't have any plans. I don't have any plans for the next 30 minutes or the next 30 days. All I know, I'm just glad to be here. But I'm getting tired. I'm about to wear out. The doctor gave me some bad news. And my attorneys gave me some worse news. And my person I'm married to gave me some really bad news. And my children don't even talk to me. So where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? People think life is a party. Well, if it is, have fun. Because the party's going to be over and the lights will be cut out when it's over. If you think life is a race, a rat race, well, get in shape. Work out every day and speed up. If you think life is accumulating stuff, then start buying. Get every credit card you can, meet every banker you can, borrow everything you can, and be miserable for the rest of your life. Because this book says life does not consist of the things you possess. There's a many people hearing my voice right now. The greatest thing you'd ever do in your life is cut your credit cards off. Just cut them up. You say, well, I couldn't do that because, you know, I couldn't. How, how am I going to pay my direct TV and how am I going to pay for my iPhone and all that? That's what I'm talking about. But we always have that feeling, my kingdom come, my will be done, and I'm going to have a glory time, glorious time. Folks, I don't know if you're noticing it or not. I don't watch anything on television but religious programs and news and a few sporting events. But I watch the news pretty intently. Let me tell you something. This reel is rolling, folks. The rich and the famous are dropping like flies. 
They're doing all kinds of stuff. Madonna did her thing the other week, you know, and the big raster did his thing, and on and on and on and on and on. They're falling like flies, and our young people are coming along and say, I want to be just like them. God help us to get back to Jesus. God's got our kids' lives planned for them, and the world is out to destroy everything that's good about their life and their future. And it's time for the church to not just the week before Easter, but it's time for God's people to humble themselves and pray and take everything we have to the Lord and leave it there. And to focus on, Lord, you come first in my finances, in my faith, in my time spent doing whatever I'm going to do. I'm going to seek you first. Life is a test. There's a time between the birth and the grave. That's where we are. This week I've been tested and you have been tested. As one reads the Bible, you'll read about people that were always being tested. Their faith was tested. Their love was tested. Their obedience was tested. Their loyalty was tested. Their integrity was tested. Their patience were tested. Their vision was tested. And a lot of them failed. Adam failed. Eve failed. David failed. Moses failed. But Ruth... Joseph, Daniel, Job, Samuel succeeded. Don't fail the test. Don't feel like you're not being tested. You say, I feel like I've already failed the test and been kicked out of the class. In fact, I think I've been kicked clear out of the school. No, no, no. No, this is a family. God's building a family. God is bringing his kids together. God is, is telling us, hey, I've got a future out there planned, and nobody knows what I've got in store for those that love me. Come, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All of you that are sick and tired of being sick and tired, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Amen. When you realize that everything in your life is a test, it doesn't become insignificant. That even the small decisions we make, as well as the great big decisions we make, those things are important, and you deal with them step at a time. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. You see, life is a trust, too. I trust him, God. He trusts me to do what he created me to do. Same thing is true of you. We're to trust him, and he trusts us. In all of our weaknesses, he knows if we will bring our burden to him, we can leave it there. Amen. Your time, I'm just so busy, I just don't have time to do anything anymore. We're trusted with our families, that time that God gives us. Our maid, our spiritual gifts, our intelligence, our money, our material things, all of those things are tests for us. How are you handling those things? And then the scripture says in Luke 16, 11, if therefore you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who's going to trust to you the true riches? See, how are you doing in these things? How are you handling that which you have? If you're not handling it well, how would he give you more to handle? If you don't handle your time, your money, 
your talents, your opportunity, your position where you work, the opportunity you have on the job you have where there are people that don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, and you, through your faith and your service and your love, and you're turning the other cheek, and you're loving the unlovable, when everybody else hates that person in the office, you have a way of going over to that person and giving a word of look and a touch in Jesus' name. Where are those people? Where are those people? Whether you know it or not or believe it or not, God has not put you in a place to work so you can make a good living. He's put you wherever he's put you so you could be a good witness for him. And then he said, and I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. One day we're going to be judged, evaluated, rewarded as to how we handle what God entrusts to us. I'm talking to people today, and a lot's been entrusted to you. I'm talking to some of the most influential people in this city right now. Some of you have been blessed immeasurably by who you are, what you do, and where you do it. And in that environment, there are many, many people that aren't ready for Easter. They're not even ready for today. And they certainly aren't ready for the Lord to come back again. How shall they hear, the Bible says, unless somebody tells them? Amen. Well, who's going to tell them? You? Well, if he's looking to me, have pity on him. Because I just don't do that kind of thing. I don't talk about my faith and I don't talk about politics. Okay. That's your answer? Live with it and die by it. But you better know the word. You better hear the warning. God expects you, no, not to be a preacher, be a doer of the word. To go out in the love of God and do what only God's kids would do. Don't you yearn to hear the words, well done. Listen to this commandment. Matthew 5, 42. Give to him that asks you. And from him that would borrow of you, turn him not away. On the Sermon on the Mount, God taught these little things to where you just share, do not, do not turn your back on people that are really hurting. Not those that are using the system or using you, but people that are really, really hurting. And God will tell us what we're capable of doing and what we're incapable of doing. Most people never truly come to understand what it means to be a Christian. So I'm asking you this morning, what do you do more than others? I'm asking you this morning, in that we've got another week before we have the celebration next weekend, what are you doing that you could say to God, I'm ready to celebrate the resurrection. Lord, I'm, I'm ready for you to come back again. If you don't know him, you can. You say, but I just wasn't raised in a religious home. No, but you were made by a God that loves you and created you as one of a kind with a plan for your life. And if you'll be still, you'll know he is God. And we will help you. We will encourage you. We will try to find that place for you to serve. And the world will see Jesus. 
We're not supposed to only do more for others than the, than the lost world does. But we are to do things they can't do. Nobody can tell you what it means to be a follower of Jesus except a follower of Jesus. They don't get it out of a book. They don't get it from a movie. They get it from knowing him. If you don't know him today, I want to encourage you. I don't care how many Easter's you've lived. If you want to have the most unbelievable Easter you've ever had in your life, get saved today, get born again today, acknowledge your sin, become a brand new person today, and give yourself seven days before Resurrection Sunday. And I'll tell you what, you'll be having a holy fit by next week. You'll be out there wondering when Wade's going to show up to preach at the cross. You'll be at 4.30 in the morning. you say, I thought it started at 6. Or, no, yeah, it does. I mean, you'll be running in here on Saturday night, maybe coming back with three more people on the services on Sunday. I don't know. But it's time to get ready, folks. I know if Jesus doesn't come back, we're celebrating Easter. We're celebrating resurrection next Sunday. I know that's for a fact. What I don't know for a fact is when Jesus is coming. But I do know today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And this is the day the Lord has made, and we can rejoice and be glad in it. So why don't you get on the right side? Not right or left, but on his side. Why don't you trust him as your Savior today?